in verse 23 that Andrew read a few moments ago. There's this little phrase I've been thinking about all week long. It just keeps coming back. Hard pressed between the two. I've never, be really transparent, I've never preached the funeral of a friend. I've never prepared for it. Never thought about it. They don't cover this in seminary. I'm 37, and that thought had literally never crossed my mind until seven days ago. And it was such a, and it has been such a weird thing, but when, when, it, first, when it first crossed my mind, I was trying to push it out. Because I didn't know. I got a phone call. I was told to go to a particular location. I knew that there was something wrong with uh, Randy. I dropped the hedge clippers that I had at the moment. Ran and grabbed my keys. I think I yelled something to the children. I'm not familiar with what I would have said. But I was gone. And on the entire drive to the place where I was supposed to go, I'm thinking, this can't be happening. Can it? I made it to the particular spot where I was supposed to be and no one was there. So I just assumed that we needed to go on to the next location, which would have been the hospital uh, less than a mile away. And upon making it to the hospital and seeing Yvette and Mona, and Mitch would come as well, we had actually beat the ambulance there and and seeing the ambulance come, I'm, I'm thinking again, like, okay, um, maybe this is not going to happen. But Yvette had commented, she said, Justin, the lights aren't on. I was like, oh, well, maybe they didn't need to turn the lights on. You know, I'm just thinking, they're still working on them. While they're inside, I see them take Randy into the the hospital, and they're working on them, which gives me hope. And I'm thinking, well, maybe I'm not going to be doing a funeral. And just back and forth, everyone's emotions go for what was in reality only 30 minutes, but probably felt like 30 days. And everyone who knows him, who knew him, who has loved him, you're aware of what's going on in these moments where you are like screaming on the inside, no, not now, more time, please, God, please, not now. 
I don't know that any of us in that little group gathered in that emergency waiting room on that particular morning had ever wanted anything so badly. No fame, no fortune, no food could ever compare to the intensity of that particular pressure, that desire that said, no, not now, here, keep them here with us in the present. After all, we wanted in this a husband, a father, a son, a friend, a pastor, an employee to continue with us. That's what we wanted. But I'm going to confess something to you. In that particular moment, even as a pastor, I was not hard-pressed between the two. There was no tug-of-war going on within my soul at that particular moment. I'm thinking, I only want one thing, and that one thing would be for him to be here now. I wanted our brother Randy to use the words from the text to remain in the flesh. It just seems so necessary on our account. Again, taking words straight from the text. After all, who would provide for the family? Who would love a vet like Christ loved the church? Who would teach Ethan to drive? Who would prepare Victoria for her career? Who would give away Lauren in marriage? Who would take care of Mona? It it seemed necessary for, for us to stay, like for him to be here for these reasons. And I know very well that Randy would have thought it necessary to stay for these reasons. I think if he would have been given the option, like Paul seemed to have here, he definitely would have felt the pressure to stay (laughs) from our, our regular lunches and phone calls and the time that we had spent working together. I know that there were good, necessary things that were floating out there, stuff that he wanted Not just for himself, but for the family, for the glory of God, for the good of this church. But I also know, and I know this, that Randy felt the pressure from the other side too. Here was a man who was truly hard-pressed between the two. 
He not only felt the pull to be with his family and to provide for them and to pastor this church and to contribute in the workplace, but I know that he felt the pull on the other side to actually be with Jesus. For those of you who don't know him well, I can say this, and it is fact. He could say amen to Paul's statement that to be with Christ is far better. For him, it started at an early age as he would occasionally go to Sunday school with his grandmother in the hills of West Virginia. He would hear something about the Word of God at that time, but it wouldn't take any particular root. It was actually when he first was married to a vet that this, this infatuation with Jesus would surface once more, but it would fade away. He thought about attending, and I just read this his testimony again this week. He thought about attending a few Promise Keeper events. He thought about going to church a little bit, and it never really stuck until 2002 when his brother would tragically die and God would use these events to put some people in his life who would faithfully preach the gospel to him, it penetrated his heart and he at that time fell in love with Jesus. It was at that moment that he realized that it was far better to be with Christ. And here's the amazing fact. This passion that first surfaced for Christ in that year would then flourish over the years to come, swelling in recent days. It was good to hear Marco uh, talking about the, the good times that he had at his previous church and how he grew in the Lord. And we knew that to continue when he transitioned to this particular church back in 2014. Before I even arrived here, uh, he wanted to be here because he just loved the teaching and he wanted to know more about the Word. And my first exposure uh, to Randy was actually through a gift sent by a vet. There's seven of us packed in this little apartment in Washington, D.C., about to make our way down to Naples. And we get this package in the mail with some of these Tervis cups (laughs) that say Naples on them. I knew it was from a vet later because that was the most unmasculine cup I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I think it had flip-flops on it. I'm like, I'm supposed to be drinking out of this thing? But Tanya loved it. <laughs> but in it, though, there was a sweet little note. And I, just, I noted that because it seemed that there was just some interest in us coming down. And I remember a conversation that I'd had with him when I first came. And it was so fun because over the next few months to a couple years, uh, we would spend more and more time together. Uh, in his kindness and generosity, he would take me to a couple Buccaneers games before they were actually good. <laughs> and you can tell a lot about a guy on a three-hour trip there and back with parking and then sitting there talking between every play. I knew that I wasn't just hanging out with another dude in the church that wanted to shoot the breeze, but this guy loved Jesus. The conversation just naturally kept going back there. In fact, I was so fascinated by it 
that within a span of maybe like six to 12 months after maybe the second time we went to one of these games, I'm like, this guy's exemplary in his love for Christ. And so floated the idea to the other leaders at the church at the time, like maybe Randy should be a pastor among us as well. He's not perfect, none of us are, but he's passionate about the truth. He's passionate about Jesus. And so we would have the honor later of affirming him as an elder, as a leader in our church. And I was able to see on so many opportunities this man pouring out himself for Christ, just like Paul was doing in this particular passage. He was discipling men on a regular basis, meeting with them, studying the scriptures with them. And when he couldn't do it in person, he would arrange it on Zoom. lead a small group. He would chair our elder board. He would visit the sick in the hospital. He would study doctrine. He would teach seminars. Even one year ago, this weekend, he stood right here and preached to this church. One year, this weekend. I think you can tell a lot about what a man loves when you ask him, how to pray? It's a good question. I encourage you to use it. How can I pray for you? One month ago to the day, a couple in our church texted him and asked that question because they wanted to lead their small group to pray for him in particular. Listen to what he texted. I appreciate your prayers. Pray that I diligently honor Jesus in all aspects of my life, with family, church, and vocation. Pray for wisdom and discernment within all aspects of my life, for new opportunities to share the gospel and maximize my effectiveness in current relationships. Pray for strength and courage to resist the fear of man and to shed any aspect of pridefulness and self-will in my interactions with others. Pray that I would continue to grow in the faith and knowledge of my Savior and increase my effectiveness as a shepherd for His glory. Uh, friends, this is the prayer request of someone who is passionate about Christ. No guilt intended here, but just compare that to the last time you answered the question. Here's one who served Christ to the degree that he knew that to be with Christ is far better. And, and this is what I saw over the last five years with this particular brother. The, the older he got, the more he loved Jesus. That pressure that I'm talking about from the other side, not just the pressure to stay, the one that you all know about, but the pressure to be with Christ, which is far better, it grew by leaps and bounds it grew. <laughs> His experience reminds me of this story in C.S. Lewis's Prince Caspian, that, that follow-up to The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And there's this particular scene in which Lucy finally sees Aslan again for the first time. It's been several years. 
And I'll read it at this point. It says, she gazed up into the large, wise face. Welcome, child, he said. Aslan, said Lucy, you're bigger. That's because you are older, little one, answered he. It's not because you're older? I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. As our brother grew, he found Christ to be bigger. And so, here was a man who was truly hard-pressed between the two. The Word of God in this particular text teaches us that this internal tug-of-war that we experience is normal. In our emotional moments, as I felt and as you have felt, there's times where we lack the clarity to fill the pool from the other end. But as the dust begins to settle, the typical experience of one who is truly in Christ is to fill the pool from both sides. They feel the desire to be in the present and to make a contribution for Christ, and they feel the desire to be present with Christ. There is the the here and now and the there and then, and they both call to us. We're always between the two. This is exactly what Paul is saying here in verses 20 to 24. It's like, I'm in this catch-22. He says, I don't know how to get out of this rock and this hard place. This is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed or put to shame when he goes on trial and he could potentially be beheaded for preaching Christ, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Now think about that, friends. Like for most of us, if we're going to choose between life or death, it is not a toss-up. It's not a debate, And yet for Paul, it really was. And what I want you to note, especially if you're in Christ or if you claim to be in Christ, is he is actually presenting this as normative. He's not just putting himself out there as super Christian. He's saying everybody should feel this to some degree, this pull in both directions. Jesus said it first in Mark 8, 34 to 38. When he invited people to come after him and to follow me, do you remember his words? Examine this carefully, friends. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? 
For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Friends, pick up on the words of Jesus. He is saying that to follow me, hardship will be normal to the degree that it would make sense that at times, at many different times, we would feel a pull to be with Christ because it's better. In this life, Randy felt the weight, as we all should who follow Jesus, the weight of his work and the weight of his ways. It is a glorious burden to bear. It is an honor uh, for us, for example, to, to see the gospel advance, uh, leading to our personal resources being targeted toward the conversion of the lost. Here was a man who, instead of using whatever discretionary time and money that he would have had just to pursue his hobbies, he had some. But he poured so much time into seeing others grow in Christ or come to know him in the first place. I bet I don't know if he ever like counted his hours, but I mean, I tried to figure it up. Like it seemed to me that there was like a normal 15 to 20 hours a week that he was doing stuff for the advance of the gospel through the ministry of this church. I want you to think about that. That's 15 to 20 hours of, could you imagine? <laughs> I'm, I'm on a payroll at a church. This guy's on a payroll somewhere else, and he still does 15 to 20 hours a week outside of that because he just loves seeing Jesus proclaimed. He felt that pressure. Not only the, the work, but the ways of Christ, the gospel living that places you at odds with the broader world. And this is one of the things that I most appreciated about what God had done in this man's life. He did not mind being at odds with the world around him. He took firm stands on what he believed, and he would not back down. <laughs> he was not concerned about appeasing the broader culture. He bore the cross of Jesus as good as anyone I know. But, but why would he do this? Why would he devote this time, this energy? Why would he be willing to be uh, the, the guy that stuck out in the crowd? It's because he thought that this message of Jesus was the most amazing message in all the world. The good news that Christ died for sinners. See, for some of you, you've never been to a, a service like this, potentially, in which there was so much talk of Jesus. You, you normally would hear us talk merely about the man, but not necessarily about his master. What I love about this family is that when reviewing the main objectives for this celebration of life service, I'm like, all right, what are we trying to accomplish? And I'm trying to do my little like coaching thing. And, and, and before I can even get it out of my mouth, the first thing that they say is, you know what we're trying to do here? We want to preach the gospel. <laughs> I'm like, I was going to work up to that, you know, like comfort for the family, honoring. No, they just said preach the gospel. 
And so what do we mean by the gospel? The gospel is uh, that good news that we were created to be in perfect relationship with God. God made this world a great place. And I'm not just talking about the plants and the trees and the food. I'm talking about the relationship that we enjoyed with him. It was as it should be. And yet we rebelled against God. Our first parents did, but you would have done the exact same thing. You've got the same genes. And it's evidenced in the fact that you continue to rebel against God and do your own thing because you think your way is better. But there's a retribution, righteous retribution, that comes for said rebellion. And that is death. Death as in separation from the body. Death as in ultimately separation from God eternally in hell. I realize people don't talk about that very much anymore. So let me just tell you the truth about it. To set it straight in this particular moment. God is holy and righteous. And for those who do rebel against him, there is a steep penalty involved. And it's one that you, in and of yourself, will never be able to fully satisfy. It will take eternity of punishment. And yet, the good news is, it doesn't have to stay that way. This rebellion and its subsequent retribution can be remedied by what Christ himself has done through the rescue plan that he put in place when he entered into the human realm. He obeyed in all the ways that you failed to obey and I failed to obey, and he actually would pay that death penalty that you and I should have paid through his death on the cross. That's rescue. And it is provided freely, listen to this, to all who rely upon him alone. Why would Randy spend 15 to 20 hours a week on this? Because it's great news. It's great news that you can be right with God on account of what Christ himself has accomplished. He loved that message. And he loved the one who gave it to him, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. That's what he was excited about. And he looked forward then to the return of this Jesus who would come and fix all that which was ultimately broken by sin. And so, yes, he felt the pressure. Randy was hard-pressed between the two. He knew what it was to want to stay, but he also knew what it was to want to be with his Lord. And so... Our concern, I think collectively, and I think I'm speaking on behalf of the family in a fair way here, our concern would be that there would be some even among us this afternoon who definitely feel the pressure to stay, but you may not feel the pressure to go and to be with Christ. I say this as reverently as I can, but if this seems hard and heavy, it should be. 
if Brandy could come back in this moment and I didn't say what I'm about to say, I think he would literally kick my butt. You know what he would want you to know? want you to know that if you have not repented of your sin and relied upon Christ alone, you will suffer the eternal wrath of God. And that if you would, but rely upon Christ. Turn from your sin. You can be saved and united to this Lord who accomplished Randy's salvation and the salvation of all who believe in him. But friends, I don't think that this text, by the way, is limited to an exhortation to those who may not be in Christ. I have a couple of brief words for those of us who are fellow soldiers of the cross. Paul presents his example. He speaks with first-person pronouns. I, me, my, mine. And then he gets to verse 27 and he switches to second-person plural. He starts to transition from his example to an exhortation to everybody else and says, all right, this is what you need to be doing. And this is what is said of us. Not just that somebody like Paul is hard-pressed between the two or somebody like Randy is hard-pressed between the two, but the text will turn its attention on us. What do we do? And this is beautiful in verse 27. I, can, I wish I could hear Randy read this again with that deep voice of his. He was the best. You'll just have to deal with mine. Verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. What do we do, those of us who are left behind? Well, we just keep pressing on, living for Christ as we have been taught and as has been exemplified by our dear brother. It says so clearly, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Uh, We want to live in such a way that we honor the Lord that Randy himself honored. And, And I want to be really clear with you guys just for a moment. In in honoring the Lord whom Randy honored, it is okay, it is appropriate, it is right for you to weep. You know your Lord did that. He wept at the tomb of Lazarus even though he knew that he would raise him from the dead. 
Paul himself would say that to the Thessalonians who were so worried about those who had gone on and died before them. And he says, look, just sorrow as those who have hope. <laughs> he's not forbidding, from, forbidding them from sorrow. He's forbidding them from sorrowing as those who have no hope. We can sorrow. Friends, this is a celebration of life service. I get it. I've never in my life shown up to a funeral like this. This is me trying to honor Randy. <laughs> not even as a guest, but I know how he felt. Andrew was sitting up here, by the way. He says, my shirt is untucked because I believe that's what Randy would have done if he was reading scripture today. <laughs> and look, I love, I love the sentiment of what we're trying to do here today. I love that everybody is laid back and that this is not just, you know, heavy and dark. We are celebrating the life of our brother. But may we not forget that it is good and right and appropriate to weep. This stinks, friends. There's the pressure from both sides. It isn't just the pressure to be with Christ. There is the pressure that we wanted him here. And it's okay. That honors Jesus. And as we grieve appropriately, at the right time, and you'll know when it is, There'll be a moment in which you go forward and you continue to profess and practice allegiance to Christ as you had done under his direct leadership. I know that's what he wanted for this family and for this church and for all who knew him and may not yet be in Christ to glorify Christ through what we proclaim and what we practice. And the reason why this text came to mind the other day when we were talking about the funeral service of that is because of this battle metaphor. Uh, Barbie mentioned the other day that he was uh, a soldier. And this, this, what, do you, what do you think his fascination is with all these, these guns and ammunition? <laughs> I mean, this guy had an appropriate chip on his shoulder. You know, like he, he knew that he needed to battle for something. And so he would have us continue to battle for the advance of the gospel and for the purity of the gospel. And so the message here this day is exceedingly simple, friends, family. It's right. It's totally right to be hard-pressed between the two. Let's pray. Father, for those of us who are in Christ, we feel it from both sides. We wanted him here, but we're glad that he's there. For those of us who are in Christ, we feel it from both sides. We want to be here. want to be there.
Help us to walk faithfully in the meantime. And for those who are here who may not be in Christ, they want to be here. But they may not yet want to be there with Christ. The idea of heaven sounds good to them, but the idea of eternity with Jesus, maybe not so much. Father, if that's the case of anyone in this room this day, Lord, I do pray that you would convince them of their sin so that they could see the sweetness of what Jesus has provided through his sacrifice and resurrection. Just as you used tragedy to bring Randy to yourself, may you use this to bring others to yourself as well, even today. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's now take a moment to reflect on our brother with this montage.